Well, good morning, everyone. And for those with young children, as Simon said before, we actually have the children's program starting now. So if you'd like to go to the back um, and go out with the helpers. So just follow Mrs. Classen and Tom. Great. And if everybody else could open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. A special and warm welcome if you're visiting with us this morning. It's great to have you with us. Um, we are going through at the moment in um, God's Word, uh, the book of Ephesians. I know lots of different preachers, different churches will follow different methods of preaching. Uh, one of the really core staple things we do here at Cornerstone is to preach through books of the Bible. And there's lots of good reasons for that. Um, number one is you're just going to keep hearing the Word of God systematically explained rather than necessarily prejudices or hobby horses, even worse, of the preacher. And today we're going to be coming to God's Word in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and if you've been with us the last couple of weeks and intend to be with us the next couple of weeks, you'll see, I think, a very important order of God's Word. Uh, and that is you'll see that Paul's instructions is first to husbands and wives, then to, then to parents and children, uh, and then finally to slaves and masters. And can I say it's worth reflecting on that order, particularly um, for us today as, or if we think even back to last week with parenting, because it's so easy to reverse that order. I was talking to one of the elders yesterday and was saying how easy is it, particularly for us as men, although women are in the workforce a lot more now too, but to put work before children and then even children before our own marriage. Uh, and so I think God's word is ordered and structured here in a very important way that that is the order of priority. Our own spouses, then our own children, and then work should take that final place, although they're all important to God. Okay, I'm going to read from chapter one, uh, sorry, chapter six from verse one um, through to verse four, and this is the word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, as I said before, it's significant that Paul's words to husbands and wives come before what he says to parents and children, isn't it? Because the best, and can I say the most powerful thing that we can do for our children is to have a strong marriage. Even difficult marriages, can I say, can provide a powerful witness, model and example for children. And this is why it's so important that we looked at what Paul said to husbands and wives back in chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, the most important thing you can give for your children is a good marriage. Uh, my own parents sadly had a very difficult relationship and I would even say a very dysfunctional marriage. And I can vividly remember to this day when I was about 10 years old, and my dad was sitting at the kitchen table having a cigarette and his bags were packed, ready to go beside him. 
uh, I went into his bedroom just to check what was actually going on. And I can still, you know, vividly see the coat hangers, um, those steel coat hangers in his uh, wardrobe empty. I can still hear the chink of the sound. I can still see the sunlight coming in. I can still even smell the dustiness of his wardrobe. And when I went back into the kitchen, I sat down at the other end of the table uh, and I, it was just one of those surreal moments where I felt like I was having the first adult conversation with my dad. And I respectfully and asked him not to leave. His response was, as like one adult to another adult, he said, but Mark, don't you see how difficult it is? And I said, yeah, I, I, I can. But it would be much worse if you weren't here. Thankfully, uh, my dad stayed in a really difficult situation. And, uh, and can I say, I'm so grateful that he did. It was about 20 years later that I sat down at the other end of that kitchen table after I'd gotten a phone call one night and my mother had died very suddenly of a massive heart attack. So I drove through the night in country New South Wales where we were living and I... It was almost like it was a fast-forward button and I sat at the other end of the table, he sat at the other end. This is how difficult their relationship was. And he was crying. And he said to me, why am I crying? That was the most difficult thing I've ever done. And we both knew what he was talking about. And I said, yeah, Dad, it's because you never left. And, uh, and he said, yeah, yeah. And he, he didn't leave. He stuck out a very, a very difficult relationship. But can I just say to you, um, it modelled for me the, persever the, the, the virtue of perseverance. Especially when things are tough and, and you feel like giving up. Uh, it was one of the greatest legacies, I think, uh, about my own father and, and, and mother, because he wasn't perfect either. Uh, friends, we all know relationships are hard. And as we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, it's actually the home where spiritual warfare is often the most intense. We shouldn't just think that spiritual warfare happens actually out there in the world. Some of the most hurtful and challenging spiritual warfare can happen in our marriages, can happen in our parenting, and also can happen in the workforce. But we shouldn't compartmentalise spiritual warfare to just be out there. Sadly, it can often be in here. And can I just say again, I'm just so thankful to my parents for battling it out and sticking through because there's been lots of times in life and even in ministry where I've felt like giving up. And sometimes even in a Christian marriage, it can be just as difficult. But I think to myself, and this sounds really sad and tragic, I think, well, it could be worse. No one's chucking chairs just yet. <laughs> the Lord doesn't want us to give up, but to take up our cross and follow him. And can I just say again, this is true even if you're not married. God wants us to bear with one another in love. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need to repent and we don't need to change. And we don't need to challenge and encourage each other with our behaviour. We do. 
It doesn't mean that sin shouldn't be tolerated. Uh, should shouldn't. Sorry, it doesn't mean that sin shouldn't be confronted, or that different forms of abuse should be tolerated. I'm not saying any of that, but there is something really important, friends, about persevering, about not giving up, because you know, don't you, as Christians, and this is a surprise to many people, when you are standing there on your marriage day, we do not promise. I do. We say, I will. See, I do is the world. It's an easy promise to make. Anybody loves their spouse on the wedding day. But I will through the tough times and the good. That's the Christian promise. So as we come to God's word today with that extended word of uh, exhortation and hope encouragement, because I know that for many of us, these are difficult things. Let's... Ask the Lord for his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that we can meet together in corporate worship. We want to thank you that you are with us. Lord, you know the challenges and the often horrible situations that we all find ourselves in from time to time. And we want to pray for a special portion of your grace upon each and every one of us, Lord. That you'll transform our relationships, whether we're married or single. That, Lord, we will know your joy. We will know your blessing. We will know the strength and power of your Holy Spirit to persevere. Lord, may you bless us now as we consider your word. Give us ears to hear. Impress upon our minds those things, those truths that you want us to heed. And then... Give us the spiritual energy to put those into practice as we leave here this day. Lord, bless us, we pray, for we ask that all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, whenever you go to a Christian bookstore, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's always a stack of books on parenting, isn't there? For instance, I did a bit of a survey, uh, Reformers Bookshop, where I buy my books, has no less than 56 different titles on parenting. 56. That's absolutely huge, isn't it? And yet, surprisingly, the Bible doesn't actually have that much to say about it. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, raising children who know and love the Lord is incredibly important, both in the Old and in the New Testament. However, somewhat surprisingly, there are not that many verses which specifically address the subject of parenting. For instance, in the book of Ephesians, this is my point, there's a total of four verses. Most of them are addressed to the obligations of children, right? whereas there is only one verse to parents, and even that verse is specifically addressed to fathers. Maybe that's because God knows that children need more instruction at this stage than their parents. And that fathers need more reminding about their parental responsibilities than mothers do. But it all, I think, makes you wonder whether or not parenting can even be something of a Christian idol. What I mean by that is, has our preoccupation sometimes with being a good parent got to do more, perhaps, with our own insecurities than with God's priorities. 
is the reason we want to have well-behaved and successful children is so that we can look good as parents? Is that not sometimes our frustration when we're dealing with them? Is that if we're really honest, they've embarrassed us? Or is it because we deeply, deeply, deeply want them to grow up to know, love, honour and serve the Lord? You see, we're all works in progress, aren't we? Especially our children. They're all going from one point of sanctification to the next. And it's a good thing to remind ourselves. I actually think, you know the sign we should put on our children's doors? Work in progress. Just like it's like the road works. You, you see a bridge being built and you go, oh, yeah, it has not, 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 not done yet. That's what our children are like. Not done yet. And there's often some big corrections to make and some little things to improve. But they're on a journey and we're there by God's grace to disciple them. Now, if you've still got your Bibles open, you'll see that there's three things that Paul says to those who are children. Now, I'm talking specifically to the kids here this morning. But you know what? If your parents are still alive, no matter how old you are, I think there's some real pertinent challenge as well. The first is that children are told to obey both their fathers and their mothers. There are three distinct reasons they are given, though, as to why children should obey their parents. Number one, why should you do this? Because of your own relationship with the Lord. Number two, because it's what it says in the Bible and you should obey God's word. And number three, if that is not as convicting or compelling enough, is because you'll be blessed if you do. Let's begin by looking at what Paul has to say in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a really good answer, isn't it, to the question of why. Why should a children do something? Because you should be conscious of your own relationship with Jesus. That he's died to save you. That you're his. And most of all, because it's the right thing to do. As we've been seeing over the past couple of weeks, submission to authority is actually a fundamental building block for the right functioning and ordering of all of society. Because if you don't know how to submit to your parents' authority, then you won't be able to submit to anyone else's. That's why, you know, most of the people, they've done surveys on this, that are in prison, have come from broken homes. That's why Paul is saying obeying your parents here is more than just respecting their authority over you. Obeying your parents is most of all acknowledging the reverence and the respect that you have for God. Obeying your parents is actually an act of worship. Notice Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, as we all know, no one has perfect parents. Just like the perfect church, if you find the perfect family, you have to leave straight away because you'll spoil it. Everyone, both parents and children, are fallen human beings. That doesn't mean you're excused from obeying them. That doesn't mean that you're excused from seeking to honour them. You see, the scripture is not just saying obey as in do your duty, but honour 
as in give them respect. And can I just say, that can be all the more powerful when maybe your parents don't deserve it. Because when you actually do this, when you honour your parents, you're actually doing it to God and not just to them. It's no good saying that you submit to Christ in heaven, that you go to Bible study, that you go regularly to youth group, that you're involved in all of these Christian activities if you don't obey your mother and father. Following on from this, the second reason Paul says as to why you should obey your parents is because it's what God's word says in the law. The fifth commandment explicitly says, honour your father and your mother. Now, honouring your parents, as I said, is quite a bit different to just simply obeying them. I mean, it's really got to do with your heart, your willingness, your eagerness to do what they say. Obeying is not just simply grumbling, dragging your feet, okay, I'll do it. But it comes from a heart of love. That you'll do what I call having an enthusiastic desire to fulfill what they say. Because that, that is how you demonstrate that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. What's more, even uh, when you've left home or gotten married yourself, I, I don't think that totally dissolves the responsibility of what God is saying here in his word. There obviously has to be clear boundaries when a husband and wife are married. Um, But we can still, I think, show all kinds of practical and even relational ways to honour our parents. Uh, Like calling them regularly. It's a great way of showing honour to your parents. Uh, Tragically, a good friend of mine uh, even in ministry, has parent or ch- Christian children that he's estranged from and they've just cut him off and I can't tell you the grief it's caused them. Even when they, the father and mother are both saying, look, just tell us what we've done wrong or you know, can we sit down and talk about it? Can I say to the young adults here, you, you'll never know the pain of a, of a parent that that causes when you just cut them off like that. Honouring parents means continuing to want to be involved in their lives, of visiting them. Again, I can't tell you the tragic pain you see of older people. I'm not saying being in a nursing home is wrong, but you know what is wrong is when they're left in isolation. That's cruel. It's, It's unloving. The older I get, I think the more and more I realise how important this is, especially when it comes to caring for parents who are infirm or frail. It's like the great cycle of life comes about and those that, you know, looked and cared after us that changed our nappies, it actually comes back the other way. And can I tell you, what an honour that is. What an honour that is. You don't realise, I think, how selfish you are until you get married. You think you're pretty good, flexible, nah. Until you've got another person that you've got to walk in step with. 
But then I don't think you really realize how selfish you are until you have kids. Because your whole life is revolving around caring for them and sacrificing for them. The duty and obligation to show honor and respect to one's parents, I don't think it ever leaves. But it does change. And we've got to be careful that the in-laws don't become the outlaws because, you know, they can become intrusive and we do have to have boundaries. I should put some caveats in there. But it's still a virtue that we want to cultivate. The third reason is probably the most compelling, and that is you should obey your parents because you'll be blessed. Paul says at the end of verse 2, it's the first commandment that comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. What a, what a wonderful promise that is. There's something timeless and universal about what the Bible is promising here. There is no blessing in disobedience, but I can tell you there is enormous blessing in obedience. Because the principle underlying this is that God not only hears and sees everything you do, but he also rewards us when we do what is pleasing in his sight. He sees it. The whole idea, you know, of God rewarding someone in, in this life for doing what is right in, um, is a scriptural truth. I don't think we probably emphasize it enough. It's a good reason for, obe for obedience. You'll be blessed. God sees what you do. But as we've already read, it is something that the Lord himself explicitly states. He says in his law that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life on this earth. Don't you want that? Honouring your father and mother is incredibly important to God. Do you want to be blessed? Seek to obey them. Seek to honour them. Be proactive in doing that. Don't just wait for them to ask. Go out of your way to be a blessing. That's what God's word's saying here. Take the initiative. Because as I said before, how you relate to your mother and father is actually a direct relationship of how you're relating to God. Obey your parents, children, in the Lord. This is one of, I think, the most um, liberating and life-changing verses for me growing up. Uh, as I told you and shared with you before, my family home was, was less than ideal. But God's word really shone like a light for me and gave me hope that, you know, if I just sought to honour my parents and be a blessing to them, even though they were sometimes unreasonable or harsh, the Lord would see that. The Lord would reward me. And you know what? He did. He honestly did. His promise has been fulfilled over and over again, more times than I can ever imagine. So can I just say, resist the temptation to grumble. Resist the temptation of even coveting to be, have someone else's parents. Resist the temptation to particularly tell your parents that I wish I had somebody else's parents. Because God has given you your parents. And your responsibility right there is to honour them. I often had to work with my dad during the school holidays in all kinds of... <laughs> I look back on it. It's kind of like back-breaking labour. Uh, but, you know, when it came time 
for him, I, as you've probably heard me say, I went and lived in the United States for four years at college. My dad just came up to me and said, whatever you need, just let me know. Do you need to buy a car when you're there? Let me know. It was just amazing, his generosity. And I learn over and over and over again, and can I just say this again to you? There is such blessing in obedience. But there's no blessing in disobedience. There's no blessing in grumbling. So children, don't just obey out of duty. Zealously seek to honour your mum and dad in all kinds of ways. Be creative. Because there is reward. And that brings us to the responsibilities of parents. Okay, children, you can rest a little bit now. In general, this is actually where I think all the dads start to squirm because it talks to us particularly. As I said before, it's significant that there's only one verse on parenting in the whole of the book of Ephesians. And what's more, it's incredibly straightforward. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's so simple, we could probably just stop there. I love the fact that the Bible is so concise because especially when it comes to parenting, you can really overcomplicate things, can't you? But this is really, it sums up all the books on, you know, 56 books on parenting. Really comes down to this. Have a strong marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Right? Number two, dads, be involved. All comes down to that. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't be that overbearing bore that is always harassing them and haranguing them. But be there. Be present. Thankfully, there's only one verse. But once again, let me make three distinct points or observations. The first is that the role of fathers in parenting is absolutely vital. Let me say that again. The role of fathers in parenting is absolutely vital. Dads, there will never come a day where on your deathbed you wish you had have said, if only I had worked a bit longer. No one says that. They all say, I wish I'd been there more. Do you know how children spell love? T-I-M-E. By the way, do you know how women spell love often? T-A-L-K. That's what we need to be. My own daughter, when, I, when she left her, uh, at her wedding, she, um, she made a speech, which is a bit odd, I guess, for the bride to do because we were leaving from Sydney to come to Tassie. And uh, my daughter got up and she said, look, my, my parents are leaving me today. Uh, I'm not only leaving home, they're leaving me. And I just want to say something. And I looked at my wife and I went, oh, no, this is, this is going to be interesting. And she said, Dad, I just want to thank you. And I thought, oh, okay, this looks good. <laughs> what is she going to thank me for? For being such a great pastor to her all these years, for being uh, so knowledgeable about the Bible. No. She said, Dad, thank you that you were always home for dinner. I thought, really, Hannah? Really? She goes, yeah, you were home between four and seven every day. You know, you were always around when I was home from school. You were always there if I needed you. I thought, really? Of all the things I've done for you, all the things I've paid for you, it was that. It was time. 
the role of fathers is absolutely parenting. Uh, sorry, absolutely crucial in parenting. That's why I think Paul specifically singles out in verse 4. Mothers have a role to play too, and Paul obviously has instructed children to obey both of their children in the Lord. Can I just say, children, again, your mum should never have to say, wait till your father gets home. You should obey your mum, who's there. She has just as much authority over you as your dad. Not only that, but the fifth commandment says that children are to honour their mothers and fathers. So there's no wiggling around this. Mothers have a huge role to play uh, in the raising of children. Did you know what most men, I think this is tragic and also incredibly profound. Do you know what most men who lay dying on the battlefield, do you know what their last words are? They call out for their mothers. There's an old saying that the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. If you're a mum here today, never forget that. No one is just a mother. If you're a mother, you are quite literally changing the world. Mothers have a huge role and it should go without saying. The Apostle Paul singles out fathers though. And I, can I just say again, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you understand the gospel, if you know what Jesus has done for you, then this will be an expression of your headship over the home. It's that you will bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you're filled with God's Spirit, you will be involved. If you're filled with any other kind of spirit, you'll stay away. Now, we won't be involved in that case. We'll be busy with work or, and tragically we'll abrogate responsibility in the home. Now, if you are to be involved in children's lives in the way the Lord intends, then there are two things in particular we should do. The first is a negative, the second is a positive. The negative is that we have to make sure that we don't exasperate them or, or embitter them. And sadly, there's lots of different ways that we can do that. You know, you can misuse your authority by making unreasonable or, you know, overbearing demands. Because let's face it, as the, the Bible is not egalitarian. The Bible presents a hierarchy. We're all under authority, all of us, at some point or another. And as we look at God willing next week when it comes to slaves and masters, we're all under authority Monday morning in some way or another. And it's all the same in the home. But we don't want to ever use that authority to be harsh or to be cruel, to be inconsistent or unfair. That just demoralizes people. And it rightly makes children embittered. As I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, though, the challenge is to look not what other people's responsibilities are. If you're a child, then can I say, resist this temptation right now. Don't try to take delight in pointing out to your mum and dad how they failed you and how they've embittered you. Go away from here today again, seeking how you can honour them. Doing that, I, I think, you know, by telling them how they fall short, even in jest, I think actually dishonours them. So resist that temptation. The challenge is to focus whatever relationship we're in 
on fulfilling the calling that God has on your life. And for those who are parents, we can all too easily exasperate them by pointing out all of the different ways that they fail to live up to God's will. The second aspect, though, is that we need to do is more positive, and that is we're to bring up our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And can I just say, this is why they've done so many sociological studies, it's so obvious, it's just common sense, that the family normally goes as the father goes. Mothers have an absolutely vital role, but if a father is leading his family in coming to church, if a father is leading his family in talking about spiritual things, the children are most likely, sociologically speaking, more likely to follow. What we're to do, men, is to bring up our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. So let me say to all the men here that it's fathers, do you pray with your children? When was the last time you talked with your children about the Word of God? And I'm not just talking about family devotions, as important as that is. I actually think the more powerful devotion is what you say when you're driving in the car. Is the word of God on your lips? Do you stop, and it feels quite unmanly in our culture, but it's Christian. Do you stop and do you pray with them about whatever struggle they're having? You see, children learn so much more about what we do than what we say. They pick up on what's really important to us. I noticed this one day when uh, one day we were driving through the car park and our little son Noah was, it was only about two, and we found a car spot and Noah from the back seat went, thank you, Lord. And I thought, that was strange. And then I realized it's because every time we go into a car spot, a car park, we often pray as a family, Lord, please help us to find a car spot. So Noah just thought, well, this is obviously what we're doing. There's the answer already. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. I hadn't sort of sat down and talked to him about praying for car spots and the logistics of this. He just picked up on it. I read a really great quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones during the week. He said, If parents gave as much thought to the rearing of their children as they do to the rearing of animals and flowers, the situation would be very different. The examples of animals and flowers might be a bit antiquated today. Maybe the better example for 21st century Australia would be the development of sporting ability or prowess or maybe even the cultivation of a musical talent. If we gave as much thought and care and passion to our children's spiritual cultivation as we did to how proficient they were and how well they did at sport or how well they did at music, might that not be a different situation? They tend to be areas where we as parents can get really passionate about. The truth he, he makes is still the same though. Music and sport, raising animals, cultivating flowers and guns, they're all good things to do. But as parents, we need to most of all be cultivating our children's souls. That's the true garden. It's significant, isn't it, that the Bible has so little to say to parents on how to raise their children. It's actually very freeing. They're, they're more general guidelines. It's not putting burdens on you that you have to have a family devotion every night, as good as that is. There's a great degree of practical flexibility in all of this. But you know, can I just say one of the most helpful passages that I've found in all of this, if you want to go back later on today, just read Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Because rather than having set times where you sit down and formally discuss, which can just be another tick-the-box thing, as helpful as it is, it's really fundamentally about what you model. Don Carson, I, you've heard me talk about him lots, one of the leading theologians in the world. He lectured for years and years and years at one of the most prestigious Bible colleges in the world, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he made this comment. He said his students remembered not what he said was important, but what he was most passionate about. You see, what are we most passionate about? Children will pick up on that. Do we love the Lord? Do we love his word? Do we talk about what the Lord is teaching us? Are we like that mother bird that regurgitates the food that gives to our children? That's, that's what God's word is saying here. So, you know, the best quiet times, the best times to pray is on the way to school. I'm so glad, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but I'm so glad my children never had to catch a bus to school. I'm so glad I had the responsibility, some would say burden, of having to drive them to school every day because, you know what, I had a captive audience. And we would pray every day in the car. And we would talk every day about the things of God. And the best conversations, that's when it happens. That's when they learn the doctrine of the Trinity. is stopping at a traffic light. When they ask, how can Jesus be God and the Father be God? And there's also this person over here called the Holy Spirit. How does that work? And all of a sudden, you're talking about the Trinity. The most important thing, and can I just say for all of us who are parents, if you've heard nothing else me say today, this is the most important thing of all about parenting. The most important thing you can do for your children is to remind them and emphasize for them the truth of the gospel. That's the crucial insight, isn't it, of Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6. Remember how it says, there's a couple of things it says, have the law written on the door frames of your house. You know, have the law, the word, the revelation of God central in your home so that they see it, so that they imbibe it. But, you know, it's this great thing. It's so ancient, isn't it? It's just human, human nature. But the scripture says, but, and then when your child says, but why? <laughs> why? Why do we have to obey these regulations and stipulations? Why do we have to obey all these laws? There's over 400 of them, Dad. Why do we have to do that? Do you remember what Moses tells them to say is the answer? Because we were slaves in Egypt. And God rescued us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In other words, they, they were to remind them, even in the Old Testament, of the gospel. They were to remind them of what God had first done for us. So here it is, friends. If you're a parent and your children are saying, why? Tell them, because Jesus died for us. Because he's forgiven us all of our sin. Because this is how saved people live out a holy life. You see, the thing that should be ringing in our children's ears at the end of the day is the grace of God, is the love of God as is displayed at Calvary. It should be the cross that they hear from us. Because, you know, friends, one of the best things that we can do is actually show them that all of this is not grounded in self-righteousness, not grounded in even pleasing us, not grounded in a sense of moralism. One of the best things that we can do is to show them the gospel. That will change them. 
You know, I think one of the things that we can do because of the gospel, and this is one of the most powerful things I've found personally in parenting, is to ask your children for forgiveness. If you're a Christian mum and dad, and we all fail our children in many ways, one of the most powerful things you can do is to say sorry when you fail them. And ask them, would you forgive me? My daughter Hannah said, there's only two things that I really stand out about my dad. Number one, he was always there at dinner time. And number two, he was always the first to say sorry. I thought, really? That's not really great. <laughs> you know, because I remembered all the times I really needed to say sorry. But doing the gospel gives you the confidence to be able to say sorry. And know that you, yes, you failed, but you haven't failed. You've failed them in the here and now, but you haven't ultimately failed because the gospel is our hope, isn't it? Yeah. It demonstrates that we're sinners just like them. And we're forgiven just like them. That we too are works in progress and that God is not finished with us. Children are learning all the time. I hope that when they see our homes, what they see most of all is the gospel. They hear about the good news of Jesus. Not that they've got to somehow measure up and be the good Christian kid, but they're the forgiven Christian kid. They have this uncanny ability, children, of asking you at the most inappropriate time. But that's when we have to die to ourselves and give an answer. There's an old saying, the apple never falls far from the tree. Sometimes they do roll, <laughs> right? But the apple never falls far from the tree. Maybe that's what's so scary about being a parent is our children are often such a reflection of us. Let me encourage us then to fulfill our responsibilities as the Lord has called us. If you're a child, honour your mother and father. If you're an adult with still living parents, honour your mother and father. Call them today. Ask how they're going. Pray with them over the phone. Seek to honour and submit to them as you would to the Lord. If you're a parent, love your children as the Lord does in heaven. Be present. The days are long. The years are short. I know how hard it is. I've had six. I know how long those days seem. But you know what? That window just closes so quickly. Don't waste today. Instruct them, disciple them, train and most of all model for them what it means to be a follower of what the Lord Jesus says. And can I just say, particularly to those that don't have children or are single, you have a great opportunity to be involved here. Don't think that this is not a word that you can't apply and heed to your life. You can. You can be an enormous blessing. You're, you're included in the family of the church. Let me finish, though, with a, something that the child psychologist James Jobson once wrote. It's such a good quote. I'm going to put this on the corner post next week, but let me read it to you now. He says, When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look back on the pursuit of something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses, land, machines, stocks and bonds. 
nor is fame of any lasting benefit. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. Nothing else makes much sense and there is no better time than now to assess the values which are worthy of my time and effort. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken to us through it this morning. We thank you that you are the true and holy God who alone lives in unapproachable light. Lord, we, as we come into that light, we see the darkness in our own lives and we want to ask for your forgiveness, that we would be convicted and not condemned, that you would renew us by your Holy Spirit to live out the calling that you have on each one of our lives. Lord, for many of us, these situations are difficult. And so we pray for those here this morning that are hearing this and are just feeling so low and flat, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, fill them with yourself, strengthen them that they might even know joy, give them the grace to repent, give us all the grace to repent and to, and to do and fulfill what your word says. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. Thank you for speaking to us. We worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.